This podcast is brought to you by Kiefer Her. Whether you're feeling the effects of menopause or your menstrual cycle, discover what's key for you in less than five minutes with tailored supplement recommendations, information and insights on kieferher.com. Hi, I'm Renee. And I'm Donna. Welcome to the Key For Her podcast. In this series, we aim to educate and open up honest conversations with both medical professionals and real life women. We want to shine a light on those topics that sometimes go unspoken about and help empower women to know what is key for their health and well-being. This is the Key for Her podcast and my name is Dr. Kiva Hartley. Today we are speaking again to Dr. Michael Crotty. Mick is a GP with a specialist interest in bariatric medicine or weight management and he runs the My Best Weight Clinic which is based out in Blackrock. Mick and I have been married for 10 years and apparently we still have lots to say to each other so hopefully you enjoy our conversation. There's science to this, there's biology, there's genetics, the environment is contributing, fad dieting, intermittent fasting, moving more, eating less isn't going to necessarily be the answer to long-term sustainable weight loss. So what is? Oh, this, mm-hmm. this is Million dollar question, the, Mick, exactly. on so, the spot, go. So I think again, we, we you know, one of the biggest things is, is sharing that understanding that, you know, somebody is not necessarily doing something wrong. It's not their fault. And I think, you know, the way we talk about weight, the language we use, kind of not blaming and shaming. So that's kind of part one. And then we can talk about, okay, well, if somebody feels that their weight is having a negative impact on their health, and this is a medical issue, and they have the chronic disease of obesity. Now, uh, again, that word obesity is, is can be a real trigger to, to some people, and a lot of people don't like that word. But when I'm talking about obesity, I'm talking about excess weight that's having a negative impact on health. Okay, and that's the clinical term obesity. You know, but if so, people are listening to this saying, mm-hmm. whether they're in that category or not, but mm-hmm. I'm struggling and I want to lose mm-hmm. weight. Yeah. What are their options? Like what? So, so most people will have done the kind of diet and lifestyle kind of approach. Uh, so again, you know, broadly we can break it down. We know that no one diet, uh, no one eating pattern is any better than another long term. Okay, so we can accept that that people can lose weight, the weight will will come back. Most people have tried those things. So when I talk about treating this medical issue or managing this medical issue, we talk about the three pillars of bariatric medicine. Okay, so this is this might be an awakening for you or or enlightening. So we talk about kind of behavioral intervention and behavioral support. We talk about medication options and we talk about surgical options. And they are the three different treatments that are available and proven by science. Because lots of people come into me and say, I've tried Everton Doc. And, and I'll say, okay, you've, what, have you, what have you done? And they'll, they'll talk about all the things that they've done that they've been told to do. And they're right, they've done everything they've been told to do, but they've never actually been treated or properly supported in managing their weight. So if we talk about treatment, you know, treating kind of weight, you know, we talk about behavioral support, medication or surgery. That's the treatment. And so we can give, get me into a, give me an overview of those three. So what's, behave, what's the behavioral intervention? So kind of conceptually, if we think about, uh, again, just going back to my, my old chestnut of the kind of caveman analogy. A lot of chestnuts. A lot of chestnuts. Yeah. We'll have to throw in a few acorns as well. But if we talk about this kind of caveman in the subconscious brain who's roaring, and it's always a man, it's never a cave woman, but because I'm... Why is that? I don't know, because maybe I'm a man and uh, it gets me in trouble if, you're, if I'm talking about things I don't understand well. So if I talk about the caveman in the back who's roaring and shouting and he's excessively hungry, nuts out, satisfied and he gets too much reward from food conceptually we can 
think about medication and surgery as biological treatments to treat the subconscious parts of my brain to turn down the volume on the caveman to reduce my levels of hunger, to increase my levels of fullness, and reduce the craving, the wanting, the reward-based desire for food. Medication and surgery, you said, do that? Yes. Okay. So, so that's a biological treatment. Right. So that's like putting somebody on a blood pressure tablet. It's like putting somebody on an inhaler for asthma. Yeah. It's treating the underlying the biology. biology. Yeah. Okay. okay. <clears throat> Obviously, if we are doing that, it's also really, really helpful for people to focus on behavioral support, which is more kind of, I, I think about kind of the smart lad up the front, the, the modern man who's making the decisions. Again, a man. Absolutely. Clearly, it's, this it's, is a woman in your head if she's making all the decisions. Go so, right ahead. Yeah. So we talk about this kind of modern person up the front. Better. That, that is, 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 we're getting very gender neutral here. <laughs> so we're talking about this modern person up the front who is making the decisions, who is integrating that kind of biological drive with emotions and the world we live in, okay? So that kind of modern person who's making the decisions, we can support that person to make the best decisions they can. So that can be, you know, anything. That's that's kind of the structure of our day-to-day. It can be looking at quality of sleep. It can be looking at stress. It can be looking at time management. It can be looking at, you know, uh, nutrition. It can be yeah. looking at uh, behavioral or psychological interventions. It can be identifying, you know, what am mood. I... Mood. Tr- Absolutely, yeah. mood. It can yeah. be looking at the medication somebody's on and adjusting those because some medications can promote weight gain. So you're looking at all those environmental external factors that maybe explain why someone is... Yeah, and, and also, <clears throat> you know, what are my triggers for taking in more than my body needs? When are my high-risk times? You, you've kind of said maybe, you know, for some people, they're busy all day you know they put the kids down they're, they're breathing out they're relaxing they're watching a bit of tv Eat your cup uh, of tea they're generally not getting to choose what's on tv because their wife is doing that for them okay, uh, yeah. and then you know they're having their cup of tea and and they get to relax and that might be a high risk time for snacking or craving or wanting so so again it's identifying these things and then coming up with practical strategies for people to navigate the world that they live in so maybe for some people it might be focusing on having a breakfast or having a lunch so or they're food not preparation I think. exactly you know, so it might be kind of batch cooking uh, it might be food preparation it might be you know i know that i'm commuting i know that left to my own devices my caveman is going to want me to stop at the petrol station and grab something convenient and tasty because i'm so busy so maybe i'll bring something with me Maybe I'm going somewhere for a meeting. Maybe I look at, you know, what options do I have for restaurants around there where I can get something, you know, maybe I'll look up the menu before I get there so I'm not overwhelmed and I'll pick something kind of healthy that I kind of know aligns with getting me to where I want to be long term. So that's the behavioral approach. And again, this is no different from any other medical condition. So somebody comes into me with high blood pressure, we'll say to him, okay, you know, well, Obviously, we can focus on kind of salt intake. We can focus on physical activity. We can focus on stress. We can focus on. But that will only get you so far because a large part of their blood pressure is often genetics and aging. So for a lot of people, that might be a very fine kind of treatment. But for some people, it's not going to be enough. They're going to need biological treatment. They're going to need a blood pressure tablet. They're going to need a cholesterol tablet. They're going to need an inhaler for their asthma. We don't blame them. We don't say, listen, for your asthma now, you have to quit your job, move to the countryside. You can't have any dust in your house. You have to, uh, you know, do all these kind of, you know, different things. And only then will we give you an inhaler. Yeah, no, it's a combination of... And they don't have to fail a behavioral treatment before you offer them treatment. Absolutely, yeah. And like anything, I suppose, with... I mean, that's really kind of modern general practice in a way, isn't it? That it's a combination of lifestyle interventions, but also offering people their, you know prescription options non-prescription options and and letting people sort of decide what kind of route maybe suits and, them best and that's it. different things suit different people so this old-fashioned kind of well the doctor's telling you what to do that's dead and buried thank god you know i see uh, 
people coming into me, and they're often more of an expert in their own body than I am. They, they, you know, they you understand their body, they would be, and you know, you know like, they've done research and they've looked things up and they understand. And I'm sure you get the same. Thankfully, there is a huge amount of information out there on menopause on different things. I do think that can be complicated though, because there's a huge amount of misinformation as well, and so people are bombarded mm. with information. And how do you wade through that? And like, we find it hard enough to kind of look at scientific reviews and research and figure out what's reliable and what mm. isn't, and how big a study is, and what's the p-value mm. of all the stuff I pretend to understand mm. that I don't. And you know, and so we end up kind of wading through stuff to figure out who we actually trust as a reliable source mm. or not. But it's ten and times harder if you're. Absolutely. you're not doing this every day it's not your area of you know it, it's guys, I, don't or whatever. Know, I don't know if you've ever sat in, in practice and like I've often pulled up Google on the computer and with the patient with me I'll Google something I have never Googled mm. anything what are you you should, tr- you should try it no do you know the trick is in general practice if you're a female GP and if, you, if you've a female patient ask them for a urine sample Okay. It is brilliant. They get out of the room. You can pull up Google. You can double check that you're right, that your dose of whatever is correct. And by the time they come back in, you're back in their notes. So is that why Perfect you're crime. is that why you're always right and, and rarely wrong? <laughs> That's why every single patient is sent for a okay. urine sample. Very yeah. Good. So so again, you know, I'll pull up Google and I'll be googling something in front of a patient. And so at the start, they're kind of a gog. The doctor is using Google. Like, sure, I could just do that myself. But I suppose we're googling with the background knowledge of six years of medical school Being able and to GP training, through. and yeah, you yeah. can you can pick out the garbage from the non-garbage based on kind of your medical knowledge so speaking so it's, of it's different I'll move you on what's what's in terms of medication talk to me about the because the, we've talked about behavioral so the other two pillars your other <clears throat> two chestnuts you have medication acorns, acorns fine you have medication and surgery so talk to me about patients who who would be going down either of those routes or is it both or pros and cons of all of that so so again you know i see my role as presenting these are the options for people and then it's up to a person to decide what fits for them within the context of their life within their belief structure within what they want to do so from a medication option i'll talk to people there are three different kind of medications that are licensed in ireland to help manage weight Okay. There's one called Orlistat that's been around for donkey's years. Is that uh, the one that makes you you have horrible you, bowel symptoms and it makes yeah. it makes you you poo out fat? Is that kind so, of my so simplistic it, version of it? it uh, oh God, you're laughing at me now. That's fairly accurate. <laughs> so basically, it stops you absorbing about thirty percent of the fat in your diet by affecting one of the enzymes we have in our intestinal tract. Okay. So if we don't absorb that fat, if we take something fatty, that fat has to go somewhere, so it's going to go out the other end. Okay. That doesn't sound in any way it's pleasant. It's not very nice. No. I, I rarely prescribe this medication, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah. it probably, it's been around for a long time and it's actually available as an over-the-counter version as well. Um, but, is it effective? Uh, it is effective in the short term when people use it. I have yet to meet anybody who has been able to use it to long stay term. on it, yeah. Okay, so from enough. bloating, diarrhea... Uh, I'm. I. You might be able to tell me what the medical term for sharting is, um, but it's it's kind of it's exactly what it says in the tin. It's follow through leakage. Kind I of can't, you just made a the, face. The detergent. Yeah. The detergent bills in the house kind of go up, uh, and whoever's scrubbing the underpants has a, a difficult job. It's not okay, you. It's not yeah. me. So I maybe I could, you could teach me. So so basically, um, that medication uh, reduces our absorption of calories, and as a result people you know absorb less calories and it creates a deficit and weight comes down the problem is you know staying on it long term yeah in the face of all of these side effects so it's not, side it's effects, not yeah. pleasant so what are the other two <clears throat> so the the second option we have is a tablet called bupropion uh, combined with another medication called naltrexone in a tablet form it's taken every day as an oral tablet uh, bupropion is an old-fashioned antidepressant um, it has been used in the past to help people stop smoking as well so in our 
caveman brain, it has an effect on reducing levels of hunger. It also has an effect on craving and wanting for food. So it's we're now actually addressing the underlying biology that, that's going on. They've combined that with naltrexone, which is a morphine receptor blocker. Okay? okay, so if, if you know, you might cast your mind back to when we worked in hospitals and somebody comes back from theater and they've had too much kind of morphine and they're very groggy and their breathing is labored, then we give them naltrexone to, to reverse, reverse the morphine. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden the they're in, in kind of pain again. Back of my head, so, yeah. So at low doses, this morphine receptor blocker blocks some of the pleasure receptors in our reward pathways. So as a result, we get less craving and wanting and desire for food. So the net result of this is a reduction in our desire for certain foods, uh, our change in our kind of preference for foods, a reduction in our hunger levels. So it's a tool that facilitates the behavior change of, you know, monitoring our intake. So really, like I say, it kind of quietens the caveman so the smart person can make the good decisions. I feel like I don't hear you talking about those two medications as much as others though so there yeah so the, there are challenges and obviously for anybody talking with these medications you know they would have to have a detailed medical assessment they need to you know <clears throat> talk through their their specific issues you know this is not just kind of you know take the medication and, and you're done there's also certain people who the medication may not be suitable for uh, and then you know like anything there are some potential side effects from these medications as well but what so, do you what do you like to prescribe so so that that's the second medication that's a very fine medication the challenge of it is, is taking tablets every day and actually at that medication medication the the usual dose is four tablets a day well, so that a lot, that it? can be challenging yeah, for yeah, people to take yeah. every day so the third group of medication we talk about are medications called glp1 medications yeah so glucagon like peptide one is a fullness hormone i'm hitting you with the science big, here you big show off yeah i wrote it down beforehand and learned it off mm-hmm. so glp1 is a fullness hormone so when i eat my intestine produces glp1 it communicates with my brain to tell me i'm full okay in its natural form, it lasts maybe 90 to 120 seconds, a minute or two in our circulation, then it's gone. So that's why I can have my dinner and I can feel full and I can be grand. And then I wait a while. And, and then you can have dessert. I discover that my second, my second, second wind. stomach. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. My kind yeah. of second wind, my fullness hormone has now gone away. I'm no longer full and I can have I can have some more. And again, like I said, people who struggle with weight, uh, we don't have as much of these kind of fullness hormones. So essentially by giving somebody a medication that is almost identical kind of uh, chemically to these hormones, uh, it communicates with the brain to make us feel fuller quicker. Okay. We feel fuller, we feel more satisfied by food when we eat. So I can't eat as much because I feel full. And for some of my patients, they come back and they say for the first time in their life, they know what fullness feels like. And this is this is like mind-blowing, miraculous change in their life because they've never experienced this. And they invariably come back and say, is this how other people feel? That's is amazing, this, isn't is it? Is this how people who don't have an issue with their weight feel yeah. normally? And I said, yeah, this is, this is why it's not a level playing field. You're dealing with a whole different deck of cards from somebody else. Yeah. So again, they come back and they say, this is, this, you know, for some people, it can, be, it can be a miraculous change. So they feel fuller quicker, less hungry. We're not thinking about food as much. Well, we can eat and we can enjoy food, but, but we don't get the same kind of levels of craving. So again, it's back to the caveman and kind of quietening him so that the smart person who knows about nutrition, who is intelligent, who knows the things they want to do is better able to apply those day to day without getting bombarded by the the subconscious drive okay so effective obviously Mm -hmm. so pitfalls yeah so response with any of these medications response is variable 
Okay, so we have lots of evidence. So these, particularly these GLP-1 medications, they were actually invented to treat diabetes many years ago, and they work really well. So aside from the effect they have on weight, they have a really good effect on insulin, on blood sugars. There's potentially a, a good effect to blood pressure. Uh, uh, they're, they're trying to figure out... So there's some health There's benefits. potentially a benefit yeah. to the heart and the liver. So, so there's lots of health benefits. Uh, there are certain people they're not suitable for. If somebody has a history of pancreatitis, we don't use them. If somebody currently has gallstones then then we're cautious with them uh, and there's a rare type of thyroid cancer that if somebody has it in their family um, or has had it themselves then we often avoid these medications so so again this requires kind of a, 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 an assessment by a doctor or healthcare profession to see if they're suitable for them. Do people stay on these for life or is this something you could take for six months get your weight down maintain that then with your lifestyle yeah, so th- this is this is kind of the kicker of it all and kind of you, you know you end up kind of hitting people with this is that this is chronic disease management. This is chronic medical therapy. These medications will work for as long as we take them. They will treat the biology. When we take them with variable response, weight will come down and ultimately it will plateau. Yeah. Our body won't let us continue losing forever. And where our weight plateaus is different for everybody. Some people have a very strong response. Some people have no response. And again, that's not their fault. It's just purely their biology, biology. and their genetics. Yeah. When we are on these medications, if we stop the medication, the biological protection is gone. So again, going back to that thermostat, that set point, our weight is going to want to come back over time. But again, if we think about other medical conditions, let's say high cholesterol, let's say asthma, let's say blood pressure, it's no different. So if I take a, if I need a tablet for cholesterol because genetically my cholesterol is too high, that would bring my cholesterol down. If I stop the tablet, my, my cholesterol is going to go back up again. But we have both met patients mm infuriatingly who come in and you check their blood pressure and it's gone up and you think okay well you're already on two blood pressure medications we're going to have to add in a third and you have the conversation and realize that they've stopped their blood pressure medication because in like without knowing with the best of intentions they felt well sure every time I've got my blood pressure checked in the last year it's been normal I I didn't you know and maybe they've made some lifestyle changes I didn't think I needed the medication anymore but these are lifelong so issues again, their, so their blood pressure is normal because of the combination of the medication and their isn't kind it so of easy to fall change. into that trap though of yeah. thinking but like i feel really well and and again we are brainwashed to think if i just get my weight down i'll be able to sustain to that sustain. myself yeah and again going back to these studies in all the studies where they looked at these medications when the medications are stopped weight comes back but again when we understand the biology, when we understand kind of why that happens, it makes perfect sense biologically. Mm. Because again, these medications are are kind of treating the biology. They're helping us regulate and control our weight. But it's not like taking a course of antibiotics where we're all, all of a sudden cured of... You're fixed. You're, you're, yeah. you're fixed. This is, you know, we're not changing people's genetics. We're not changing the structure of the brain. We're just managing the symptoms to facilitate them living the healthiest life that they can to improve their, their health long term. So so do you have to set expectations a lot? Do you think people come in and maybe they have some response, they lose some weight and then they get disappointed if they're stuck where they plateau? Yeah. And, and I think from, challenging. from the offset, I suppose, you know, uh, you know, helping people understand that response is variable and not everybody will respond, that side effects are variable. Some people might have worse or, or no side effects that kind of ultimately our, our weight won't continue coming down forever it will plateau and statistically we can look at where that might be for for people but 
each person is an individual you know if they have never been treated before we don't know where it's going to end up and then that this medication needs to be continued long term to maintain and that's why things like bariatric surgery are so effective long term as well because that's a, that's a permanent treatment so who goes for bariatric surgery versus medication how do yeah. you help patients make that decision so again it's, it's a case of you know you, you can talk about kind of uh, eligibility so from an eligibility point of view bariatric surgery in Ireland is probably reserved for people who are more severely affected by weight um, and and there are different criteria unfortunately the insurance companies and uh, and a lot of people still base the criteria on body mass index uh, and you know somebody has to have a weight above a certain level before their insurance is covered or before they'll they'll be suitable for bariatric surgery and a lot of people go abroad don't they? And, and yeah and, and again you can understand you know people are desperate for treatment mm. people are desperate you know to help kind of improve their health and because of that people go abroad uh, and there are many challenges with that again you know exactly the same way as medication is not a one and done kind of cure or fix bariatric surgery the intervention is the, the surgery part is relatively short but it is a lifelong treatment people need support they need to be monitoring nutrition they need psychological support they need to remain on kind of multivitamins and, and mineral supplementation long term they need blood work done so th- this is this is long-term chronic disease management possibly a stupid question but in there's no it, such thing as stupid questions just stupid people oh Okay, no pressure. Thanks for that. If you so, if you have gone away and travelled and had, or if you've if had bariatric surgery wherever, and you have your weight loss, and going back to what you were saying about this, you know, set point. Well, then your weight over time might strive. Your you know the hormones will change to kind of drive you towards weight gain. Is there a role for bariatric surgery and then maintaining that weight loss with medication? Yeah, so it's very variable. Response to bariatric surgery is different. And, and again, even just to kind of go back to how surgery works, because this is one of the myths. We talk about stigma and kind of bias in society. Bariatric surgery is hugely stigmatized. You know, people think, oh, you're taking the easy way out. You're, you're taking a shortcut. Like it's a cop-out. Like it's a cop-out. Well, yeah. is, it, is it a cop-out to take an inhaler for my asthma to stop me coughing and wheezing? No, it's not. It's a treatment. It's evidence-based and it's safe. Bariatric surgery is a fantastic treatment it's really really good how it works is by changing the anatomy of our stomach or intestinal tract we change the levels of hormones that communicate from the periphery with our brain so the levels of hunger hormones through surgery through surgery the levels of hunger hormones the levels of fullness hormones so it's it's all treating the brain Okay, so the brain is the, the center of all of this. So bariatric surgery is not just shrinking somebody's stomach. It's, it's changing the hormones that regulate hunger, fullness, and weight in the brain. And that's what facilitates weight coming down. And for some people, is that lifelong that they don't need anything? Yeah, so for some people... Other medical intervention. Absolutely. But they need to be monitored for kind of, you know, not absorbing certain minerals, you know, their bone density, risk of fractures. Uh, we know that for some people, things like kind of addictions can go up after bariatric surgery. Again, because we don't know why, but... but again in the brain and and the complex stuff that's going on in there um, you know it needs long-term follow-up so again you can totally understand why people are going abroad going but the problem is you know some people are going abroad and they're not telling family members they're not telling their GP or doctors they've had it done and again that 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 can be you know dangerous because you know it can if people don't know it's been done then it can affect your your medical care isn't that awful that it's and it's driven by stigma and shame and fear and 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 again it's a case of it's it's going back to this you know uh, everybody seems to be kind of on a journey these days you know between kind of uh, you know mix whatever journey uh, along whatever way you know it's social media it's driven we're conditioned to these kind of before and after body transformation we want you know the the 
changes and everybody's response is different so some people come back disappointed they don't have the same response from from surgery the somebody else, or the same or, or yeah. same as the, the medication all these things are kind of used to sell things to us but but again you know i think bariatric surgery is a fantastic medical treatment my preference would for be for people to have it done here in ireland where they can be appropriately followed up by specialists by dietitians by psychologists by their gp um but but again i suppose gps are being bombarded you know as gps we are usually kind of we know uh, uh uh, a little about a lot but we're not experts in kind of following people up post bariatric surgery so the people who come back and tell their gp it's brilliant that they tell the gp but the gp you know then might be kind of a little bit at sea as to kind of how to appropriately follow that person up sure. uh, now gps are upskilling and all these things all the time but the concern is about the people who come back and don't tell you know, uh, and, you know, they might have complications or, or issues uh, where can, they can go for kind of support. So, so again, it's a brilliant treatment. Some people will respond very well to behavioral intervention. Some people will respond very well to uh, medication. Some people will require surgery, but these are all kind of on the table. And some people who, who kind of go on medications will ultimately want to have surgery. Some people who have surgery may down the road because of, again, complex mechanisms, regain weight. They'll rarely go back to the weight they were before, but they may have significant weight regain. And again, can you imagine the 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 uh, what a knock that can be to people after going how, through all of that? After going through all yeah. that, and people are regaining weight and the blame. But again, this is biology. This podcast is brought to you by our very own brand, Key for Her. Whether you're feeling the effects of menopause or your menstrual cycle, discover what's key for you in less than five minutes with tailored supplement recommendations, information, and insights on keyforher.com. Please have 20% off on us by using the promo code KEYPODCAST in all capitals. Do you like your job? Love it. What do you not like about it? Bad um, points. Because you're funny. You're a bit of a weirdo. You did, you qualified. And then before we met, you did your surgical training. So you did the basic surgical training and you did your memberships, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but you, then you pivoted and went into general practice thank god i did because i wouldn't have met you otherwise ah now you're saying all the right things but you and you were you're you were as it past tense you were a brilliant gp you are a brilliant gp um Thanks. lest we forget he came first place in his membership exams of the Irish college of general practice well that's because i did not come first place or anything like it it's you have to say about a, a stop clock is right twice a day or something <laughs> but. anyway and then when we were in canada that's kind of how you you've kind of fell into this mm area and uh, of wait man I'm just sort of curious like what because we never really sit down and pick this stuff through but like do you is this, what don't you like about your job what are the challenges so I, on a I day-to-day basis on a day-to-day basis the challenges are that the treatments that are available so let's say medications and surgery are not available to the level they should be they're not prioritized they're not resourced they're not reimbursed whose so, fault is that it's not anybody's fault, but uh, I think it's it's a lingering kind of you know belief that that our weight is our own personal responsibility and you should just be able to take care of it yourself. It's kind of the the bias that kind of you know eighty eight percent of people who are kind of living with obesity you know report that they have been blamed, shamed, and abused as a direct result of their weight. So this this is ubiquitous every day in society, in healthcare, in uh, in the workplace. It's it's the last kind of area you know people are not judged based on their age their sex their skin color their religion but by god they're 
they're judged based on their weight and there's assumptions about them and it's totally unfair and that kind of still permeates in in kind of uh, healthcare and you know some people might be with a doctor who uh, maybe isn't as educated because none of this kind of stuff we've been talking about I didn't learn this in college you didn't learn it in college absolutely not I didn't learn it in my GP training it's only something I've come to later on and this that's why it was like a eureka moment for me number one you know uh, I suppose I gained an understanding for why I have struggled with kind of weight myself over time uh, I gained an understanding of of kind of how I'm like the the born-again Christian or I'm like the kind of reformed alcoholic I have been that GP who has you know told people to just eat less and move more and like when I cast my mind back now I'm utterly ashamed that that was me but I knew no better so that's why I'm kind of passionate about trying to educate kind of healthcare professionals and why we need this different approach. And it's not people's fault because I have done, I have kind of fallen into every hole that it is possible to fall into on this. And I have blamed and shamed people. Uh, and that's why I think kind of, I have to remind myself every single day, you know, I might be talking about this repeatedly over and over again with different people, but it's the first time people have often talked about this. We talk about that a lot because we're similar mm. in my, like I'm, GP obviously in my background and then subspecialized to women's health and obviously I do mostly menopause and every time I have a first visit with someone it's often sometimes you're telling them information I hope that they maybe didn't Mm. have before and you're opening their eyes to how Mm. some of how they feel isn't their fault and there is kind of biology behind Mm. this and you know dispelling some of the myths that are out there about in your case it would be fad dieting or in my case some of the myths about HRT for example etc. And it is easy to forget, okay, this is the sixth or seventh first visit I've done today. And you're running through a lot of the same stuff, mm. but it's the first time they have heard this. And, and imagine the uh, imagine how brave somebody has to be mm. and how vulnerable kind of people feel talking about these very intimate, very personal issues that that have been huge in their life. Now, again, it might be run of the mill for me to talk about this, but this is the first time that person might be properly talking about these things. And that's why the environment and how we have the discussion is so important to help kind of support people in a, in a non-judgmental way and to give them the information. Like these are smart people to, to let them kind of make the decisions. And I think we constantly have to remind ourselves what a privileged position we are in that kind of people come and share their kind of life experiences and and the trials and tribulations they have had uh, and we get to support and help people and give them the information you know and, and I think that that we're, we're kind of you know very lucky in we can do that and that's why I find this kind of so fulfilling and, and certainly when I'm talking about weight people come back and if I'm honest I could not give a flying hoot about I was worried about what you're going yeah, to say no, there no, yeah I, I kind of had to t- stop myself I for a second see that, yeah. I gotta be carried away sometimes <laughs> um I have to kind of you know uh, I'm not bothered nor interested in the numbers on the scales that to me is one of the actual poorest indicators of success, of success yeah. when it comes to weight management and that that seems weird and that seems counter to kind of the way we are trained where it's all about get up on the scales there and we we'll see if it's working yeah the non-scale successes that people talk to me about the increase in energy, the improvement in sleep. One of the biggest things is the no longer constantly having to be dieting, not restricting, yeah. not being miserable. That relief. Yeah. The, the the kind of, you know, most people I talk to, it's not that they're hungry all day. It's that they're constantly thinking about how I can take in less food today. So yeah. it's, it's ever present. It's, you know, some people talk to me from the moment they get up in the morning to the moment they go to bed at night, they're thinking about weight and food in some way, shape or form. The amount of brain space that takes up for people. Yeah, it must be See, exhausting. Yeah, you, it's it's exa- exactly, and you take that away from them, and they kind of feel this freedom. They're kind of saying, "I don't have to worry about it. I can go for dinner 
you know, I can go out for dinner. I can, uh, I can meet friends. I don't have to be constantly worried about it because I know I'm protected. I know I'm supported by kind of the medication or the behavioral changes or the surgery, or or whatever the, the treatment yeah. might be. So, so again, you know, the, the, the change in our relationship with food, the energy, the joints, you know, for some people, if they have medical issues, the improvement in blood pressure or cholesterol, um, you know, the, the ability to get down on the floor and, you know, mess around and play with their kids or grandkids, you know, all of that is kind of stuff we don't see if we focus purely on the numbers on the scales. The a scales, and I'm off, often asked by people, you know, should I be weighing myself? Should I be checking my weight? And kind of, I leave that entirely up to people. I don't weigh people. It yeah. doesn't change what I do. Yeah. It's not important to me. It's not the marker of success to me. Yeah. It doesn't help me hugely in my decision making. I base it on health and talking to people. You know, some people will weigh themselves and that's perfectly fine to kind of track, um, you know, depending on how, how much and how often they're doing it. For some people, if we see a number on the scales that isn't what we want to see, it can have a very negative kind of impact on us. So for some people, it can be helpful. For some people, not. But it's not the be all and end all. I was going to ask you what you're what you like about your job, but I think you've kind of answered that. Actually, I think yeah. that privilege and that and and I think it's it's, it's sharing a, in that success and you know and for the same kind of reasons that that I'm sure and you talk about kind of treating women for menopause and and women's health. It's an area that previously I felt totally at sea not knowledgeable about uh, and now I feel I can kind of give people the right information and, and help kind of support them uh, so so you know what previously terrified me now I feel like I can kind of talk about these things comfortably share an understanding and, and help support people so that that's a huge kind of privilege but it's very like it's actually a very selfish area of medicine when you have people coming back to you so in terms of women's health, like I get asked a lot by women um about how maybe their hormones changing through perimenopause or that loss of estrogen that happens at menopause, how that affects the potential for weight gain, their body shape. A lot of women, like if we, you know, they come in and we obviously open the consultation usually by trying to pin down what are their main issues and concerns. And I am shocked on a daily basis how really it's the majority of women will will put it really top of their list. They maybe have hot flushes, their mood might be affected, but almost across the board universally, women will mention I've had issues with weight gain and they'll specifically say I used to gain a bit of weight and then I'd make a few changes and it would come off and I could Mm. keep it off and now that weight gain has gone on and I can't move it why is that so I think it's it's a bit like everything it's very individual Um, you can look at for for the same reason that some uh, women don't have severe menopausal symptoms some women don't have kind of issues with weight around kind of time of perimenopause menopause but for some it can be it can have a big impact on both weight uh, but also body composition so if we look at kind of you know population-based studies large populations there isn't a huge spike in kind of weight overall at the time of menopause but for some women there can be a major change so you know if somebody has issues with their weight before menopause uh, then that's a risk factor for further weight gain around menopause Uh, if somebody has more severe symptoms of menopause that's a risk factor for weight gain and if we look at a lot of the symptoms of of menopause which you have uh, kind of given me well educated you on yeah um we know so let's say lack of sleep lack of sleep can have a major impact on on weight Uh, if we see kind of pain discomfort uh you know hot flashes you know being uncomfortable all those things can have a major impact kind of energy levels stress levels anxiety all those things can have a major impact on our weight so 
so kind of when estrogen when we lose estrogen um the symptoms that that gives us you know can have can contribute to weight increase for a lot of women but over and above any changes on the scales that somebody might notice it's the change in body composition that can be one of the most kind of uh, terrifying thing for people so that loss of lean muscle mass, but change in body shape too, mm. right? Yeah. So we know that when they look at kind of these adipose, the cells, adipocytes yeah. or adipose tissue or, yeah. or fat cells, there is a change in the metabolism and behavior of fat cells when estrogen reduces. So you're constantly telling me about all the different areas of the body that estrogen has an effect on, yeah. but it has an effect on fat cells too. So fat cells that are located kind of around the thighs and bum and, and chest, uh, there is a kind of reduction in um, in those cells. So women are not as inclined to put on weight in that area. There is a change in the metabolism of fatty cells around the midsection. So yeah. women are much more prone to putting on weight around, around the middle. That visceral adiposity, um, that can have an impact on health. So, so all of a sudden, even if somebody's weight is not changing the shape of their body is changing and the textbooks in a really horrible condescending way talk about changing from a pear to an apple isn't mm-hmm. that isn't that correct and yeah. i've said that once and you slapped me across the face first <laughs> not literally um, but like i don't like yeah. that kind of oversimplification no. that we're all kind of the same as a mm. fruit and or whatever like yeah i, I, I don't like it i think it's insulting to say that you were walking around like big blobby apples yeah. but like and the, it's it's the same way as you talk about kind of you know uh, around time of puberty the changes in in our body that happen and how that loss of control and how it's so disconcerting hormonal isn't it yeah hormonal and the same thing is happening during menopause Uh, and again you know the changes in those hormones is is affecting what's going on in the brain our eating patterns and and behaviors Uh, the other stuff in life that women are having to deal with aside from all these physical psychological symptoms you know people lead busy stressful life humans are created that as we get older we are supposed to put on some weight but over time, some people will put on put on more again because of That's our biology. That's protective, though, isn't it? That's to a degree, it is protective. In in like kind some of human weight evolution. gain is healthy. In in evolution, it has been, but in the environment we now live in, with the types of food that are available and and the stresses and, our and challenges, generally and, yeah. then then that's what's causing uh, an issue. And you know, on top of every on top of everything else, women have to deal with. They're they're also dealing with weight, and uh, again, it feeds back into society and our views of health and our views of of kind of aesthetics and beauty you know that that people are 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 told that this is their fault again it comes back to biology this is not our fault it's a medical issue and treatments are available that can help manage it and i get asked about hrt about hormone replacement Mm. therapy and whether or not it has an impact on weight loss or Mm. weight gain and i think a lot of women are actually scared potentially are taking hrt because there's a myth that it does cause weight gain Mm. but it doesn't as far as I'm no, so in, aware. In, in the studies, it's been shown that now again it's we neutral. talk about it's weight neutral. Yeah, and again, you know that that's the experience of studies. Now, obviously, for an individual person, you know, different things can be happen. But in general, uh, HRT does not cause weight gain. Um, there are other medications that can cause weight gain that some women might be taking around the time of, of perimenopause. Yeah. Certain kind of antidepressant type medications sometimes can have an impact on weight. Um, uh, if somebody's on steroids or different things, that can affect weight. Uh, but HRT is weight neutral. And there are studies, I think, that have suggested that with this replacement of estrogen that we potentially see a change in how those adipose cells behave Mm. and how they are how they are created in your body and so we see that translates for some women to a reduction in type 2 diabetes which is encouraging too yeah so again if we talk about kind of in perimenopause you know when estrogen is falling if a woman is supported with hrt that change in body composition can be abated somewhat and and uh, you know the 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 body composition you know muscle mass bone mass um uh, and distribution can 
be changed and can, they can be supported in that. Um, okay, three, very quickly, three take-home points. If you had a patient sitting in front of you today, they're worried about their weight or they have concerns, like bullet point it for me, what are the three most important things for people to take home? I think big things number one our weight is not within our control as much as you like to think number two regardless of our size we should all be focused on healthy eating and, and physical activity and number three there are safe effective treatments available if we feel our weight is having a negative impact on our health uh, and I would encourage people to discuss things you know in an open uh, way with their with their doctor with their practice nurse kind of you know in their family we should be talking more about this we should be talking about why it's not our fault we should be supporting people uh, and, and I think you know again looking kind of day to day at at you know all we can do each day is do our best you know living our healthiest life and ultimately our weight is going to end up where it's going to end up um, but again that might be in a different place with behavioral intervention medication or surgery okay fantastic I never even got to tell my story of the uh, which is totally your fault the embarrassing patient encounter I had about two or three months ago I'm, I'm, I'm nervous now what you're going to say when I was saying goodbye to a patient on the phone and I was wrapping up the consultation said that's great okay bye 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 love you and then I put the phone down well that's better than the other story where you you had your stethoscope around <laughs> your neck why did I, and why did I open you, this you're wearing a lovely box. frock a lovely dress <laughs> uh, and you bent down to pick something up and you lift back up and the stethoscope grabbed your skirt so you flashed your oh, knickers I at know, the patient I know my god the pitfalls of our job huh mm. okay well on that note thanks for sharing that on that note um, we will wrap it up it was great to have you I'm glad we had a great conversation I hope people enjoyed Thank you so much for joining us on the Key For Her podcast. We'd be so grateful if you could hit subscribe, rate and share this podcast with your friends. For tips, tricks and hacks and all things perimenopause, menopause, periods, menstrual cycles and skin health, follow us at Key For Her on TikTok and Instagram. Check out our website keyforher.com for more information.